Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Ready to go here on a Tuesday. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Still a lot of talk about China, uh, the talks that will be going on this week, the threat promise, if you will, by the administration now to uh, add on more tariffs Friday if a deal's not struck. We're going to talk about all that with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, a little bit later on. Also coming up today, we're going to talk about the ongoing dairy labeling dispute. We'll talk with Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation and the ongoing fight globally against African swine fever and what's being done to keep it out of the United States. We're going to talk with the Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. But first, let's start things off with a look at the news with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. And Jerry, thank you for joining us. Uh, boy, a lot of speculation. Would the Chinese delegation come to Washington this week? And if so, who would get off the plane? Uh, but it looks like the talks will go on. Uh, yes, they're supposed to arrive on Thursday. It's not clear yet who who will be coming. Uh, I just got off the phone with Senator Grassley, uh, who defended President Trump's uh, decision to say that he would impose uh, more tariffs on Chinese goods, uh, even though, of course, tariffs from the heartland have said this is a bad idea. So we got some conflict going there. Uh, but uh, uh, Grassley is standing behind Trump at this point, saying that Lighthizer, uh, the trade representative, has said that the Chinese wanted to renege on some of the promises that they had already made. Interesting. The president often likes to point to the stock market as showing that his economic plan is working, but the stock market has certainly reacted negatively to this tariff news. Uh, yes, I haven't checked the stock market today. Yesterday it was kind of uh, it was kind of up and down, uh, but investors never like this level of of uncertainty. Uh, and uh, certainly, uh, this situation I wouldn't say is it was it's not positive for resolving uh, resolving this conflict. Uh, uh, certainly not at all. But uh, um, we just have to wait and see what happens in the last part of the week. Yeah, the president's uh, negotiating strategy has left a lot of people scratching their heads, but we'll see if it works and if it uh, brings about uh, an agreement or not. Uh, meanwhile, it looks like the House will take up a disaster relief package this week, a $17 billion aid package. What can you tell us about it? Uh, yes, uh, and they've added in pro- uh, provisions uh, to help with the Midwest and some other provisions down, uh, you know, down in the South. Uh, as Senator Grassley pointed out, it's to cover things that are not covered by normal uh, uh, normal disaster aid. Um, so I would presume that that would provide some money for these uh, this this stored grain that uh, has not been uh, uh, covered uh, covered before. Uh, it's still hard to predict whether what they pass now will be enough because there's you know still problems going on. We hear there's still more flooding in Iowa, et cetera. So. Um, although Senator Grassley said that his staff has told him there was more progress over the weekend, President Trump is still saying Puerto Rico is getting too much money and the Democrats are holding up aid to the farmers. Uh, but the word is that apparently 
the White House will accept some more additional aid to Puerto Rico as the price for doing this. What are you hearing on infrastructure? After that much-publicized meeting with Schumer and Pelosi and the president, and uh, they, they agreed supposedly to spend $2 trillion, but they don't know where they're going to get the money, uh, is there any follow-up to that, or is this part of the cycle we've seen with infrastructure where it, it, it kind of gets some attention, then it drops off and then comes back later and drops off? What are you seeing and hearing on infrastructure? I'm afraid I'm not hearing anything more on infrastructure. I think it's part of the cycle. Uh, the big the big conflict is between whether it would be government financed or whether there would be a lot of private financing. And for rural America, that's a problem because there aren't enough uh, people per, uh, per mile to make these uh, for-profit uh, infrastructure projects work in rural America. It's, it's just not possible with a spot with a sparse population. So I don't know, uh, uh, I don't hear anything more on that. Uh, I would point out one other thing about my conversation with Senator Grassley. I asked, you know, he has said that he, he took the message to Grassley that he should uh, get rid of the, of the tariffs on uh, steel and aluminum in Canada and Mexico. And uh, Trump said, uh, haven't you heard I like tariffs? And I asked Senator Grassley, did he give you any indication of how he would deal with this in the future, when he might take them off, what decision-making would go on? And Grassley said none. That was it. No further indication, just that he's going to leave the tariffs on. And it's, it seems pretty much a, a common belief that there's no way USMCA is going to pass if those stay on. Well, Exactly. Uh, uh, Grassley said today that he could go. Uh, he, he could announce that he that he's in favor of passing it with the uh, with the tariffs still on. But he said he could never assemble 51 votes in the in the Senate to pass it. So uh, and then of course Canada has said it won't approve it as long as those tariffs are on. So uh, uh, we're we're just stopped uh, on that effort as far as I can tell. And, and besides that, beyond that, I think the feeling is he, he'll take them off at some point. Who knows when? But other issues, uh, we've heard labor leaders say they're not going to support it uh, the way it is now. Nancy Pelosi saying that the, some changes would have to be made, not by side letter or amendment, but in the actual deal itself. Uh, do you see these as deal breakers or just uh, typical negotiating uh, maneuvers on a deal like this? Well, they are typical negotiating maneuvers, but at this point, I think that they're uh, the, uh, that they're deal breakers. Uh, you know, it looks to me now it's it's going to be really hard to pass USMCA this year uh, it, because you know the Canadian uh, government is uh, or Cong- uh, Parliament is going out of session because they're going to have elections. And then they won't be available to vote on it until until October. So even if the U.S. reached uh, internal agreement on how to proceed on this, um, uh, you know, it would be many months before Canada would consider it. So uh, I think it's uh, pre- it's pretty stalled now, probably for months, if not into next year. Wow. Well, it's going to be an interesting summer. So many big, uh, big issues hanging out there waiting for resolution. We will see what happens. Jerry, thanks for the update. Appreciate it. Thank you. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right.
A little later, we'll get more on the China situation from the Senior Vice President of U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron Ennis will be joining us later. But up next is ongoing debate over dairy labeling, imitation dairy products, using terms like dairy and milk. We've had a comment period on it. There's been some reporting out about what uh, those comments had to say, what the gist of them were, and uh, I think the dairy industry feels some of those comments have been misleading. We'll talk about that with Alan Bjurga with the National Milk Producers Federation. That's coming up next here on AOA. Powerful, effective, proven, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us from Fargo, North Dakota, Rusty Halverson, Farm Director for the American Ag Network, about Secretary Purdue coming to North Dakota. And Rusty was there to cover it. Thanks for joining us this morning. Rusty, um, what was the takeaway from the Secretary's visit? Well, good morning, Mike. The Secretary is in town to have a roundtable with leaders of the area commodity groups and also get a little preview of some technology that we're working on here in the Red River Valley in North Dakota. But the main takeaway from that roundtable, I think, Mike, was trade, trade, trade. Everybody's concerned about our negotiations on trade deals, not only with China, but also the EU and how they say they don't want ag as part of the talks. And there's some optimism about our talks with Japan and, and the potential that we have in that market. So mostly trade, but also obviously the weather too, Mike, was uh, heavy on many producers' minds. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. There's a difference between field experts and experts in the field. At FS, we're experts in the field. Our crop specialists are driven to maximize every acre and bring the latest agronomic technologies and innovations to your farm. Whether recommending the appropriate hybrid or variety, nutrient management for optimum growth, or advice on disease and pest management, our crop specialists are always focused on pointing your operation forward. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins, these solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. 
And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Get an update on the dairy labeling issue. We've had a public comment period, and there have been some uh, reports out by the Plant-Based Foods Association, basically uh, saying that the the gist of those public comments, many of them saying that the public wanted uh, to keep dairy as part of the labeling of those imitation uh, dairy products. Uh, I know the dairy industry would like to set the record straight on that. So here to do that is Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Alan, thanks for joining us. Seems like we have some um, different messaging going on since that public comment period. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, thanks for having having us on and uh, having a chance to get our message out, Mike. I appreci- always appreciate the opportunity. Um, yeah, you, you're seeing sort of a silly season going on right now, um, I would say, in the, the fake milk debate because, you know, FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb has stepped down. We don't have a new person in place yet. He had a docket that closed in January, and we re- at NMPF released a roadmap in February on what a solution could be on this debate. But not a lot of tangible action is taking place. So filling the vacuum, you know, fools rush in where angels fear to tread, um, came the Plant-Based Foods Association, um, also talking with, uh, working with a group that does, quote-unquote, research, um, taking a look at the comments in the FDA docket. Um, what was interesting was that this was a survey that purported to show um, strong consumer support for allowing um, plant-based imposters to call themselves milk. Very selective analysis. Um, only about two-thirds of the comments were studied, and then you saw a lot of simple keyword searches being used to sort of extrapolate some foundings that were in favor of, of um, that particular industry's findings. You know, and this gets a little bit of push in, in vegan-based media and, you know, folks that, that are looking for ways to fill their news hole on that day. The challenge is, is that it, it really does hurt the discourse um, on this topic because it's, it's, it's an attempt to shield and, and move the debate really from what the FDA is looking at, which is taking a look at, you know, public health effects, uh, consumer confusion effects, and trying to turn it into sort of this red herring debate over whether consumers think that almonds are a dairy product, which is is not what the debate is about. That's the danger at this time of year um, in this part of a process is, is that people start, you know, trying to wiggle out of what the questions really are. And, and if you allow them to do that, then the debate gets polluted. And, and we're trying not to do that at NPF, and that's why we've been speaking out on this issue. There's a lot of hypocrisy in all of this because supposedly if, if, if your goal is to educate the consumers and help them to make informed choices, then you should not be putting anything on there that would mislead them to thinking an imitation dairy product would have the same nutritional value as a real dairy product. 
Well, you know, I want to be a little bit charitable here and and also point out we are not opposed to the existence of these products. You know, if somebody wants to drink flavored almond water and, and you know, get one-eighth the protein of a dairy product, that that's, that's more power to them. But there's a paradox here where this industry says, well, this, this does not matter um, really to consumers. This is not an important issue, so we should just be able to continue to call things milk. Well, if it's not important, then, then stop, you know, because it is important to us. It's also important to, you know, in the dairy and agriculture community. It's also important to the American Association of Pediatrics, um, which is, you know, points out anecdotal evidence of, of vegan-based diets causing nutritional health problems in humans. Uh, in small children, um, it, it it is an issue in this marketplace. And what we're trying to find here, um, what the dairy community is trying to find, what National Milk is trying to find, what the consumer community that supports us is trying to find, is a resolution that allows products to continue to be sold in the marketplace, but to have meaningful, transparent labeling that lets people know, you know, at a glance what this is and what this isn't and, and what associations they should be making and what associations they shouldn't be making. That's how you get a cons- an informed consumer choice, and it's just a challenge to, to combat some of this misinformation you see out in the marketplace. Sometimes we might say we, we hear the term no deal better than a bad deal. In this case, some might say no decision better than a bad decision, but no decision by FDA, no action by FDA is also doing harm, I think, to the dairy industry. Well, I mean, no decision is status quo. And if uh, the, you know, if we were satisfied with the status quo, if, if we were satisfied with the current state of the consumer marketplace, then there wouldn't be all this action. So, yes, there, there needs to be a solution on this. Um, of course, you're hoping not for a bad solution, but it's hard to imagine a situation that would be worse than what it is now. You know, again, uh, the we, National Milk put out a, a roadmap petition, um, citizen petition, uh, in February. You can go to the FDA's website, and you can look it up, and you can submit your own comments on it. It's a way forward through this debate. It, it doesn't ban any con- a, a, any products. Um, it lays out clear, transparent guidelines as to when a dairy term is and is not appropriate. Um, we think it has some validity. Otherwise, you know, NMPF wouldn't have worked on it. And, and certainly, you know, consumers can take a look at it and, and say, what, say what they feel about it as well. The lack of, of, of leadership, I, don't, I shouldn't say the lack of leadership, the, the lack of uh, the head of, of FDA, uh, full-time uh, administrator there, does that slow this process down even more? Or do you think a decision will come regardless? Sense. It makes it less less predictable, obviously. I mean, Scott Gottlieb probably showed the most leadership of any FDA chief of the last four decades on this particular issue just by talking about it and making it a priority. Um, part of the reason we need to keep you know, putting out the, the attention on this is to make sure that when a successor is, is named and confirmed that people are asking questions about this debate in the hearings, that it is on the public mind, that some sort of decision is made. The biggest danger right now is that this debate just sort of fades back because no decision is a decision. And, again, that decision is status quo, and status quo is not what we're working for here. Um, consumers need transparent labeling. Um, consumers would benefit from the FDA enforcing its own rules. Those are things that we are try- trying to encourage. And it's, it's also, in the meantime, while this slow-motion struggle goes forth to combat some of the misinformation you see from the other side permeating the marketplace. Yeah, you know, uh, sometimes common sense 
you know, well, oftentimes anymore, common sense doesn't seem to rule. But uh, if you just took a common sense approach to this, you would say, hey, if there wasn't a value to using terms like dairy and milk, they wouldn't be using them. So obviously there is a value there that uh, they're wanting to, uh, to take from the dairy industry. Well, and the other thing to point out is that an argument of this is, well, if you stop calling it milk, now consumers won't know what it is. Well, I mean, look at Chobani, look at Trader Joe's, look at Quaker. Um, they are all selling plant-based alternatives. And, you know, obviously from a dairy perspective, you'd rather people were drinking cow's milk. But again, we don't oppose the existence of these products. And the fact that consumers are buying them without dairy terms on them, the fact that companies seem to think they can invest in this product and try to make a profit off it without using a dairy term, that kind of is the rub there that that proves the weakness of this argument. You can do it without a dairy term. And indeed, there are benefits of not using the dairy term for consumers, for public health. So pushing it back on the industry, why don't you just do it? Right. If you have confidence in your product, you know, go with what your product really is and not try to take from somebody else's product. Hey, quickly, Alan, before we let you go, I know the dairy industry uh, watching closely and has to be concerned by some of these trade talks with what's happening with China and the tariff situation, critical talks this week, and also USMCA and uh, the tariffs that are still there and the talk about uh, that uh, may not getting passed this year. uh, Those have to be concerning. They are concerned. Um, You know, we are starting to see a recovery in milk prices, and that's been a long time coming, and we're very thankful for it. But the only thing that's going to create a sustainable long-term recovery in milk prices is increased exports. You have to have a larger global market. And any time you see these snags happen with trade deals, um, you worry that you're not going to get that price effect. And after what dairy has been through for the last half decade, we need those sustainably higher prices. We need the trade agreements, um, and, and that's what everyone is pushing for on Capitol Hill right now. Yeah, you've got Mexico, your biggest export market, uh, hopefully improvements with Canada, and, of course, the potential of China all hanging out there. Um, you do. You do. You have a lot of concerns and a lot of need for market access. I mean, take a look at Japan. Uh, Japan is now having more preferential trade relationships with some other buyers. U.S. The U.S. is at, at risk of losing market share in one of its largest markets. Um, it's not just about getting things, you know, maintaining what you have. It's about expanding. It's about growing. That's part of what USMCA is, and that's why you really see agriculture as a whole pushing for it. Alan, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Yep, thank you. Alan Bjerga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Well, we'll get the latest on the China situation and uh, what could happen this week as the Chinese delegation comes to Washington, D.C. with the threat of more tariffs, uh, higher tariffs from the U.S. We're going to talk with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Talk 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 There's a lot of talk coming from the makers of wheat fungicides these days. And some of them are really talking up some pretty big claims. But when you eliminate the fungicides that are Johnny-come-latelys, the ones without a proven track record, and the ones from makers who consider wheat to be just an afterthought, there's really only one left to talk about, the one you know and can trust. Caramba fungicide from BASF. 
It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level dawn reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. Caramba fungicide from BASF. For time-proven performance you can trust. Everything else is just... Talk, 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 talk. Talk, 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 To learn talk, how Caramba talk. fungicide can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it. Some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to make the air cleaner, to make our country safer, to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels and oil alternatives, solutions for a brighter, more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. For the grain and oil seed sector on this Tuesday trading session, we are firming up in corn and soybeans after a plunge on Monday while the wheat futures have been mixed. China confirmed on Tuesday its vice premier will go to Washington for trade talks. The decision to have the vice premier take part in the talks due to start on Thursday. Keeping hope alive, the two sides could make peace on trade as early as next week. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer telling reporters in Washington yesterday over the course of the past week or so, they've seen an erosion in commitments by China. According to Monday's USDA crop progress numbers, corn, soybean, and spring wheat planting falling further behind the five-year average pace. 23% of the nation's corn crop in the ground as of Sunday, 23 points behind the five-year average. 22% of spring wheat planted as of Sunday, That's 27 points behind the five-year average. Minneapolis spring wheat futures early on the Tuesday, trending steady to a penny and a half higher. July up three-quarters of a cent an hour into the day at 5.15. Chicago wheat July down three-quarters of a cent at 4.36 and a half. Kansas City July down a half cent at 4.02 and a half. In corn, the July contract a penny higher at 3.65 and a quarter. Soybeans July up four and three quarters at 8.35. For livestock, the Merck cattle futures trying to recover from yesterday's losses. June live cattle up 45 at 112.72. Feeder cattle August up a dollar 60 at 145.95. June lean hogs down two dollars 47 cents at 87.27. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 303 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, there's been a lot of a reaction to the president's tweet a few days ago about uh, increasing tariffs on China this Friday if a deal is not uh, struck. And uh, that reaction has been shaking of heads, uh, pulling of hair. Uh, to uh, On the other side, people saying stand tough and uh, do what you have to do. Uh, don't let uh, China you know, slide uh, from commitments and things like that. So that's been across the board, but a lot of concern. I think overall you look at the stock market and other places. Let's talk about it with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, always uh, appreciate your perspective on, on these talks. Uh, what was your reaction to the president's tweet about higher tariffs starting on Friday? <laughs> Well, I both shook my head and pulled my hair. Um, <laughs> I, we have spent a lot of the past uh, two days trying to work out what we think was at the center of all of this. And to be honest, we don't still really know. The bottom line is that something triggered uh, the president to feel that China was was changing something it had previously offered that caused him to feel that maybe they needed to have another shot across the bow in the form of tariffs to get them back to where they had been. Yeah, the the word seems to be that China is starting to pull back or renege on some of the things they said they would do uh, in a deal. Is that what you're hearing? So this is kind of where the where the details get a little murky. The only reporting that we've seen that gets into any potential details was in the New York Times today, and it suggested that the difference of a of opinion has to do with whether China is going to list off laws that it's going to change in compliance or if the changes that it's going to make are through a regulatory or administrative process. In the grand scheme of things, if that's what this is, there's, this is definitely a bridgeable difference. If there's other things and the, and the reporting is inaccurate, and we've been told by several U.S. government officials that, that about 90 percent of the rumors that have been published are inaccurate, uh, there may be something more serious here. But right now, we just don't know. The fact that the delegation from China is still coming, you, obviously that would seem to be a positive, right? I mean, because there was a question at one point whether or not that would even happen. Yeah, that, that, there was a question of that leading into even yesterday night in the U.S. So I think you're absolutely right. The fact that the vice premier is still coming seems to suggest 
that whatever the differences are, are actually bridgeable. Uh, I, I don't want to lean in too far here, but it seems like it might also suggest that an agreement could be reached prior to the tariffs being implemented or soon after so that um, some relief could be on the horizon. We were told pretty consistently yesterday by Chinese government officials that they would not be sending the vice premier if the tariffs are going to increase while he was in Washington. So um, hopefully that is indeed a sign that they are actually on the path to resolving this. So there is still that possibility that with all this talk about uh, higher tariffs, that uh, this might not even happen if they would get a deal done by Friday, right? And I guess that that would seem to be the president's uh, negotiating uh, strategy here, that this will get them to get uh, come to an agreement. Yes, that definitely is a strategy the president has used in the past. Uh, I actually had a conversation yesterday with a Canadian official who reminded me that this happened in the NAFTA renegotiations as well. What that looks like, how much time it takes, and probably most importantly, are we talking about reaching a comprehensive deal by this Friday, or is reaching a deal in principle by this Friday sufficient to delay or remove that tariff threat? Those are the details that hopefully we'll know more about um, either throughout today or in the lead-up to Friday. The bottom line is, though, that I think uh, companies, farmers, all should anticipate those tariffs are going forward, as the president has said on Friday, and uh, we'll just hope for the best that it doesn't actually happen. Somehow I, I, I get a feeling that there won't be an announce, a deal done by Friday, but uh, we'll hear something about, well, there was enough progress that will hold off a little bit on the tariffs. And, I mean, that's, that's another scenario, right? I mean, it could just get delayed even longer. Yes, absolutely. You know, part of the challenge of uh, when something can come to a resolution on all of this has to do with obviously the details that they are working out. But there is also the issue that you and I have spoken about in the past of whether the deal needs to be concluded when the two presidents are physically in the same location to meet and sign a deal. Right now, looking at calendars, it looks like the first opportunity for the two presidents to be in the same location, be that in the United States or Japan when the G20 meets, might not be until June, but we are hopeful that they could still announce something in the interim that wouldn't uh, prolong the the wait for relief if they genuinely have reached agreement on the big processes that need to be agreed on. We're talking with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, we often talk about uh, uh, the ag perspective on this, and agriculture certainly uh, taking a brunt of all of this, but also want your perspectives on uh, the other industries and the, the business side of it. I mean, this this latest tweet seemed to really be a kind of a shot across the bow for, for much of the economy. Yeah, agreed. So the, the tweet on Sunday uh, indicated the tariffs on, on list three would go from 10% to 25%. While ag and other products may have been affected by Chinese retaliation uh, in response to the first two lists, for the, on the import side, the third list that the U.S. put out covered a lot of consumer goods, 
transportation parts, things that are really going to hit consumers a lot more directly than the first two rounds of U.S. tariffs. We also don't know whether China is going to respond in kind if these tariffs go forward. So there's a lot of question marks. And then, of course, the, the additional question mark on all of this on the U.S. side is that the president also tweeted that he was looking at another $300-plus billion worth of imports that he'd put tariffs on. We don't have a timeline for that. That's in excess of what was reported late last year that might be in a, a list four related to Section 301, and we're going to need to wait for more details on the timing and the content. Aaron, in your contacts in China, what what's being said and what's the concern level over there about uh, African swine fever and the impact that's having? Uh, you know, pork is such a staple of the Chinese diet. I, I, I would think that has to have a ripple effect through the Chinese economy. Yeah, it, it definitely is. China is looking for additional sources. I, my suspicion is it is among the reasons why there is a desire to come to a deal because China is uh, has historically been a significant purchaser of U.S. pork exports. You know, there's going to be some reverberations on this in a variety of ways. First off, clearly once a deal is reached and the price of U.S. pork becomes more uh, competitive in the market, um, there's going to be a strong desire to buy up probably a lot of the stockpiles that the U.S. has, uh, and hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. But I was reminded earlier today by a colleague in the ag industry that we also need to keep in mind that with the casualties that have come from the swine fever in China, there's going to be a lot fewer pigs in China that are going to need to eat, and so it might have an impact on U.S. soybean export demand as well. Yeah, there's def- that's a two-sided coin, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, it was also viewed re- when China uh, announced they would not uh, appeal the WTO ruling against him that went in favor of the U.S. on, on uh, you know, that they were in violation of their agreements uh, to get into the WTO several years ago. Uh, that was kind of looked upon, okay, that's part of, it's going to be part of uh, this, this bigger trade deal. That's why they're not going to fight that one on the WTO. Do you agree with that? I think we should assume that that anything is is on the table in these negotiations. The the Trump administration has been very clear that they are seeking a wide-ranging, comprehensive deal that covers a variety of areas. And certainly WTO compliance has been a consistent theme that the U.S. government has been saying recently about concerns about China. So, yes, I think it's possible some of these issues get resolved. It's also possible that if things do not resolve themselves that we might see China deciding to uh, appeal some of these decisions or bring some new cases against the United States. We're, we're in a period of uncertainty on just a wide variety of fronts. You know, I try not to be cynical, but it's hard sometimes not to be. I, I often get the feeling on, on this, it's so big uh, that while most of us are anxious for it to get done and wish it had been done long before now, uh, that politically, the closer to the next election that they could announce a big deal, the better for the uh, the politics of it all. Well, you know, yes and 
know. I mean, it could, that could go both ways. I mean, there's going to be uh, a lot of critique of whatever it is that the two governments agree to. And I think you can guarantee that no matter how extensive the deal is, there will still be some very vocal critics that it should have gone farther. You know, this is the challenge of any negotiation. I had a, I had a friend recently remind me that the best indication of the, a good outcome of a negotiation is that everybody's a little bit unhappy. If we get there, that's good, but there will be uh, criticism of this deal no matter what, and certainly that will be partly because it's an election year and partly because not everyone got what they wanted. Right. And the longer it goes, the better the deal better be because it's going to have to make up for a lot of uh, pain and the loss that had taken place uh, while the, all this has been going on. Aaron, always appreciate your perspective, and uh, we'll talk again after uh, this next round of talks later this week and see what comes from them, okay? Sounds great, Mike. Thank you. Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council, always gives us good perspective on this uh, ongoing situation between the U.S. and China. Well, as we mentioned uh, during that conversation, a part of all this is African swine fever. They just don't seem to be able to get it under control in China, and it has spread to some other countries. What's being done to fight it? What can we do? There's no vaccine. And what prevention uh, efforts are underway to keep it out of the U.S.? We're going to talk with Dan Kovich. Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council about that coming up next here on AOA. Stay with us. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Talk 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 There's a lot of talk coming from the makers of wheat fungicides these days. And some of them are really talking up some pretty big claims. But when you eliminate the fungicides that are Johnny-come-latelys, the ones without a proven track record, and the ones from makers who consider wheat to be just an afterthought, there's really only one left to talk about. The one you know and can trust. Caramba fungicide from BASF. It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level dawn reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. Caramba fungicide from BASF. For time-proven performance you can trust, everything else is just... Talk, 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 talk. Talk, talk, talk. To learn how Caramba fungicide can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, The hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, crew. Let's get her dug. 
Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Your diesels are your engines of prosperity, so they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger, from farming to construction to trucking. Visit FSGoldStandard.com or talk with your local FS Energy Specialist. FS, bringing you what's next. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips. Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories, published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean, or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it. Some try to ignore it and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers. And like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins. These solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Pete McClymans with us, Executive Vice President of the Nebraska Cattlemen's. Pete, last time we talked, you were still trying to get an assessment on uh, the losses and the situation. Now that you've had a little bit of time, uh, what can you tell us? Can you give us an update? We've heard some producers have been made whole if they've had a good insurance plan in place. And so if there's no reason for them to sign up for a livestock indemnity program funds via USDA, we might have a really hard time knowing the number. But this could stretch into the middle of the summer when we get a good handle on it. So I'm not answering the question specifically, but I think given 1.94 million beef cows in our state, you know, and coupled with some other losses, I think it would be fair to say easily over 200, maybe 250,000. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. 
With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, while the outbreak of African swine fever may indeed open up an export opportunity for U.S. pork eventually into China, uh, the growing concern is getting this disease under control and keeping it out of the United States. We have uh, this disease that is spreading, no vaccine to fight it. What are the tools that we can use and what's being done to keep it out of the U.S.? Let's talk about that with Dan Kovich, Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for being with us. Um, what's your perspective on uh, what China has done and seemingly the, what they have done has not been enough to, to get it under control? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the picture coming out of China, of course, is not perfectly clear as to what's going on there. But we, what we do know is that this virus is uh, is moving. It's it's hit every province of China and it appears to have uh, taken a substantial chunk of their population. As you already mentioned, there is no vaccine. Uh, control is is difficult. Not not impossible with good biosecurity, but difficult. So I think that, you know, one thing that a lot of people are starting to look at, consider this many years in the future, but is looking at tools such as uh, gene editing as a potential solution to, to African swine fever and other viral diseases of livestock. So that may be the, the future of, of fighting this disease. In the present, what's being done in the U.S. to keep it out? Well, we've actually got a lot of activity going on. I mean, obviously, the pork industry has always made a big commitment to biosecurity. Um, it's just standard daily practice, and, and that's obviously critical. But we're looking a little more broadly, uh, working both with you know the U.S. government, um, but also uh, working with Canada and Mexico as part of the United North American effort to really look at where do we need to beef up uh, security measures, detection measures, uh, to keep this virus out of the United States. Uh, you know, for example, one thing that we here at MPPC are doing right now is really asking for full funding uh, for the Custom and Border Protection uh, group of people, that, they're agricultural inspectors. They're about 600 short right now. Um, you know, they, they do a good job. A lot of your listeners may remember when they interdicted that shipment of uh, smuggled pork products in New Jersey. But that's, that's one thing that, that we really feel needs to be addressed to make sure that we've got a full complement of people there. Dan, I think it's surprising to a lot of people that in, in this day and age, with the technology that we have and the, the medicines that we have and the research that we have, why isn't there a vaccine for this disease? Well, it's just it's a tricky virus. You know, unfortunately, not all viruses are the same. I mean, we know that in terms of their effect on animals, and it's just true with their structure. You know, this is a big, challenging virus that just to date they haven't found a, a good vulnerability, you know, that a vaccine can can target. And again, that's why we're I think we're, you know we're looking at some of these other tools, um, both in terms of you know future things that can. Uh, can hopefully help address it, but also, again, as I said, this biosecurity, both on the farm and in the country, to, to keep it out. I don't want, you know, I don't want to disparage the efforts of people that are looking hard at trying to find a vaccine or, or other tool. We need as many tools as we can, but, but that's just not going to be a silver bullet right now. 
do we know the cause of it? And then the next step is is the spread because of, of the you know the movement we have country to country. Is that is that how it's spreading? Yeah. So I mean, it's an interesting. It's an mouth disease that can travel long distance over, you know, through the wind, although it is pretty environmentally stable. There's there's a couple, um, you know, main routes that we're concerned about with transmission. And, and one is the, the movement of pork and pork products. The virus does survive well in fresh products, uh, not necessarily cured products. I mean, if, with processing, uh, that risk can be eliminated. But, um, you know, we think particularly in, in Europe, that's Perhaps how the virus uh, jumped from Eastern Europe into Belgium, for example, is someone discarded a, uh, a contaminated piece of meat, wild boar ate it, you know, and now they've, they've gotten the wild boar there. Uh, and another vulnerability is feed. Um, there are certain feedstuffs, supplements that the virus can survive in. And, you know, here, you know, we've put out a big educational effort to get people talking to their feed mills, understanding where the components of their rations are coming from and so forth, and, and that's going to be critical as well. So, I mean, really, the, it's movement of pigs, movement of contaminated feed or contaminated pork products that we're looking at as the major sources of concern. I think it's a combination of all three of those things that have allowed this to spread in Europe and Asia. You mentioned that perhaps in the future we could fight a disease like this uh, with gene-altered pigs. How far away are we from that? Well, that's, again, I mean, that's, that's going to be many years in the future. I mean, we do have, you know, we certainly do have um, on the ground right now, not in production, strictly in controlled uh, research settings, but pigs that have been gene-edited to make them resistant to all known strains of the PERS virus. So this is not just a theoretical concept. This is something that's been... That, that that's shown to work. So again, African swine fever, unfortunately, not as far along as as the PERS resistant pig, but but these things are coming. Um, you know, unfortunately, we've got a situation right now where the U.S. government's approach, the FDA's approach to regulating these animals, is going to make it very difficult, if not impossible, for producers to get access. But that's another vulnerability that we've identified that we're working hard to correct. Are we hearing any new cases in, in, in different countries of African swine fever being detected? Well, like, I mean, it, it, it does uh, appear to be spreading through Asia. You know, it's, it's, it's spreading relatively slowly, but once it gets there, it's, it, it's there, you know. So I think that, you know, there are, it's, we, again, we don't know probably less about the situation there than in China, but... Um, that it that it's hit North Korea. Um, we know, you know, obviously that it's gone into Vietnam and, and, and Cambodia. Um, you know, so I mean, we're we're definitely watching the situation. But I think any neighboring any neighboring country uh, needs to be very concerned. All right, Dan. Thank you for the update. My pleasure. Dan Kovich, Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. That wraps it up for today. Thank you for being with us. Have a great day, everyone. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.